There once was a man named William Rudolph Hearst. William Rudolph Hearst. He was rich, he was successful, and because he was rich and successful, he by nature enjoyed the finer things in life. One day he read a short article. Um, he was a collector and he read this short article about a rare and valuable painting. A rare and valuable painting. And this painting was one of a kind. There was only one of them. And because he enjoyed those finer things in life, he committed to finding and then buying this one of a kind piece of art. He instructed his personal agent, when you're rich and wealthy, you get a personal agent. He instructed his personal agent to search through the galleries and connect with as many collectors and artists as possible so he could locate this painting and then buy it. After a few months, his agent, who had dedicated all of his time to locating this painting, reported back to Mr. Hurst that it had been found. He was successful. He reported back and said, I have found the one-of-a-kind painting. And good news, it will cost you nothing because it's been sitting in your personal warehouse for many years now. The story resonates with me when I read it, and I hope it resonates with you. Because I would argue that most of life, my life and your life, involves some sort of searching for something we desire. We're searching for something we desire. Something we think will bring us satisfaction. Something we think will fill us up emotionally or spiritually or physically. And this is true for all people, this, this tendency to search. It's true for the Christian, the atheist, the one who does not believe in a God, the Buddhist, the Muslim, people all over the world. Everyone is searching for something to fill them up. Everyone is searching for something to engage the mind, renew the spirit, and then fill up the soul. We search in this way throughout our life because we're not content. We search because we're not content. We're not content because we're not at peace. We're not at peace because our souls are restless. And the soul is restless because we're not aware of our purpose. We spend our days searching because deep down in our soul, we know there is something to this life that cannot be seen, and we must discover it. We all desire to live in this sort of unshakable confidence. We long for assurance, to be assured of something. But in all of our searching, in all the things that we find, in all that we acquire, the reality is this. There is no human relationship that has the power to provide this assurance and contentment. There is no amount of money that has the power to provide this assurance or contentment. There is no career or job or life calling that has the power to provide unshakable assurance in this life. And so you search, and you try this, and then you try that, yet nothing seems to quench the thirst. Nothing seems to stop you from searching. And at the end of the line, just when you think there's nothing worth living for, the truth of Jesus comes into your heart and into your mind and changes your life. Your faith in his life, death and resurrection, secures peace with God. It gives you hope for your tomorrow. It provides to you unending joy. Just when you thought that at the end of your searching, there was nothing worth searching for any longer. The word of God enters into your fray, into your mess, and he provides you with the assurance you've longed for the entire time. For all who have been saved, who would consider themselves Christians, who have placed their faith, who believe in Jesus and who he was, who he said he was and what he had done, 
to all those who call Jesus the Lord of their life, to anyone and everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, let me ask you, are you aware of how deep and how wide and how strong the assurance is that you now possess? Are you aware of what God has blessed you with? See, the reality is that Paul is praying for specific things to this Ephesian church. Because of the faith that they have and the love they have towards one another, he is going to pray a specific prayer over their life. But I would argue, just like Mr. Hurst, he prays for things they already possess. These are not things added once Paul prays. These things are already revealed and fulfilled in their lives. Paul is reminding them of what they have access to. And it's these three things. The understanding of his plan, God's plan. Paul prays that they would understand the plan of God fully. The inheritance of his hope, the hope that only God can offer. And the access to his power, which Paul will say in another letter, which is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The word of God assures us the people of God have full rights and access to all of these things, to his entire prayer. It is all yours if you are a Christian. It is for you. It is a gift given to you. Yet, what we often do is we go off searching, searching for something we already possess. So then Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church, and I would argue Paul's prayer for us as we read it today is a petition. It's a petition for you and for me and for anyone to stop searching for what God has already given to you. Your goal, uh, his goal, is to communicate to the Ephesian church that they have 100% accessibility to God the Father because of what Jesus Christ the Son has done for them. Paul prayed that the Ephesians would be saved from frantically searching for what has already been theirs. And that they would see that their great God is the source of all they truly need. This reality is lost on many of us today. We must be honest. For many Christians, this reality is lost. All over our city and people in this room, and myself included, at times throughout my week, we, we seek for that which has already been given to us. And all over our city, Christians will gather just like we are today. They, all over the world, Christians will gather just like we are today, hoping the Spirit of God will do some sort of miraculous work in their lives, forgetting that the miracle they long for has already taken place, that you have been forgiven, that you have been given all that was in Christ Jesus, and you are made pure and clean, and you can stand before the holy God of all creation as blameless, as righteous. The renewing of your heart and of your mind, the salvation of your soul has already taken place. Many Christians will gather just as we gather here today, hoping God will provide them some sort of peace or joy or new revelation without realizing all that is in Jesus Christ has been given to you because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And because of your faith in him, we now have peace with God because Jesus paid our debt. And now we have access to unending joy because our lives are hidden in Christ, with Christ and high. We once counted our, wife, our life as, not wife. <laughs> that makes more sense from what I'm about to say. We, we, <laughs> we, we at one point counted our lives as worthless. Boom! I should have just skipped those two sentences. 
We have peace with God because Jesus has paid our debt. We have access to unending joy because our lives are no longer worthless. We have been resurrected. We are men and women who no longer walk as dead people, but we are alive. Amen? We are alive. This is reality. This reality is also lost on people outside of the church. It is true that God is willing to bless everyone who would humble themselves before him. The creator of the universe, the source of all life, is willing to bless people with knowledge and wisdom and peace and joy if people are open to receive it. But then the hard reality is this, that many people often believe the lies of the enemy instead of believing the promise of God. We get consumed with success and self-praise. We are told that if we want to make sense of our life, we must just look within ourselves and make a path forged by our own hands, forged by our hard work and willpower. We're told that if we just get more focused, if we just make the right decisions and stop making the wrong decisions, everything will come into line. We are told self-fulfillment is the goal of this life, when clearly in the Bible, God says self-denial is the source of life. We're encouraged to live however we want love who we want, desire who we want, spend how we want, treat people as we see fit, as long as it provides to us a sense of fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. It's the great lie of the enemy. The great lie of the enemy is that your life is your own, and you can do with it what you please. And that lie is destroying people all over our world. There is no greater damage done to the human soul than to believe the lie that our lives are our own. As for these reasons, the church is not as effective as it could be. Paul is praying that the Ephesian church would remember and they would own this prayer, that they would stop searching for what God has already given them. And so when they do, they are not as effective as they could be. Because many Christians spend much of our energy looking, searching, seeking a blessing from God without realizing the very blessings we seek we have already been given, 100% in full. We pray for God's light so we can navigate the darkness of life without realizing we have been given his word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray for God's strength, hoping to endure a season of life in which we feel too weak to battle, Forgetting we have been promised that we can do all things in Christ who is our strength. We ask God for peace because we desire to live free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from anxiety, fear, and depression. Yet we forget to realize that Christian has already been given peace which surpasses all human understanding. It's ours. It's within us because Christ is in us. Paul prayed the Ephesians would be saved from frantically searching what has already been theirs. They would rather see that their great God is the source of all they need and he is ready if they are ready to receive it. And this must mean in our church today, much maybe in the church back in Ephesus, that we should encourage one another not to pursue self-fulfillment but to pursue self-denial. In fact, we must get ourselves out of the way so we can recognize what God has truly given us. Don't get it twisted. When you put yourself before God, you'll be blinded to everything he has for you. When your needs and your desires and the things that you want in this life 
go before what God wants and what his word says he wants for you, you will frantically search and it will never stop. So here's the main point. Paul reminds us, as he reminded the Ephesians, of how secure we are in Christ and our assurance as an eternal inheritance. That's what he's reminding them. It's another one of those long sentences. That's why I had Nathaniel read it instead of me. It's sort of a a run-on sentence that just goes and goes and goes. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to attempt it. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which you've been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and then seated him, this is Jesus, at the right hand in the heavenly places, He seated Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And then he put all things under Jesus' feet. And he gave to Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We could take these verses and sort of reduce them down. We could summarize them by saying this. That these three verses summarize what we've been blessed with as the Christian. And we must be reminded of these things. Then we must live within that reminder. Number one, your heart has been enlightened to God's hope. There is no more searching for the meaning of life. There is no more searching for why you exist. That has been given to us when we were enlightened with his plan, with his word. We now have hope. Life is now not meaningless. It is for a reason. You have a purpose. Number two, when your life is done on earth, you will receive your glorious inheritance. This is your eternal life. We have power over the grave. We will not die. Although our physical body will waste away, will stop working, it'll one day be resurrected to live in glory forever with Jesus Christ. And from that time from when we die, when Jesus comes back and the resurrection occurs, Paul says to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That is our promise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is his promise to us. Number three, you are living within God's immeasurable greatness because you believe in him. Immeasurable greatness. All of this, Paul says, is secured because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the foundation. That's the end of all the verses. All of this is made possible because God raised Jesus from the dead. There was a man who showed up and claimed to be God. His name was Jesus. And because of that, they killed him. And in killing him, they thought they were getting rid of a lunatic who would stop messing up their religious system. And when they killed that lunatic, three days later, God said, raise him from the dead. That's how the story goes. The tomb is empty. He is not there. He is alive. Paul prays that the believer would be enlightened about this great plan, God's great plan. He asks for our hearts and minds to be given understanding of the master plan to redeem, to to buy back, to save men and women from all over the world. He prays for God to enlighten them and to enlighten us about God's election of those whom he would save. 
the adoption of those he would save, the redemption of those he would save, the forgiveness, the wisdom, the insight, the inheritance, and the promised seal of the Holy Spirit of everyone, everywhere, whom he would save. That is the plan. That is why you exist, to give glory to God because he has saved you. Everything else is a benefit. These words sum up the master plan to save mankind from his coming judgment. The truth is this, sin separates us from God, yet God has a master plan to buy back the sinner, to seek the sinner. By nothing of what they would put forward, but because Jesus would come and lay down his life. His eternal plan to bring men and women back to himself through nothing that we would do. Absolutely nothing. You offer nothing in terms of your salvation. You bring nothing to the table beside the sin that made it necessary. That is it. Paul says, I want you to know what this means. Friends, some of you are going to struggle with meaning and purpose. It's because we live in a world who confuses us. It's because we have a nature still, because we're not in heaven, that confuses us. But I need to remind you, you are not an accident. You are not an afterthought in God's mind. You are not worthless. And it's this assurance that we need to pray for one another. No one is worthless. Everyone has purpose. Everyone has meaning because of God's great master plan. That's so opposite of what the world tells us. From the baby in the womb to the person at the end of their line. No one, no image bearer of God is worthless or meaningless. God's plan affects everyone equally. It means every horrible and wicked thing that has ever been done to you or every horrible and wicked thing that you have done to someone else no longer has the power to define you. This means that every one of your wicked thoughts and your wicked deeds no longer is what you are known for, but you have been chosen. You have been redeemed. You have been saved. That's the prayer. There's a lot of words there, and I'm, I promise I'm not cheating you out of anything. That's what Paul is praying, that we would know the master plan, that we would realize hope is where the master plan is found. And it's all made possible because Jesus was raised from the dead. Remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians is just Paul praising God for what he has done. That's all he is doing over and over again. It's like never-ending song. It'd be like if Matt was up here for four straight weeks just singing. That's all he's doing. He's praising God, praising God, praising God with his pen, writing it down. And if this is true, if it's possible for us as believers, because we do need to start within the church, right, first, because this is written to Christians, if as believers we can stop searching for what we think is going to fulfill us, if that is true, how then should we live? What does this prayer lead us to do? Who are we to be as we leave here this morning? How should this cause us to act differently than we did walking in? I wrote down a few things. Don't be worried. I got plenty more. <laughs> Number one, we're going to remember the hope. Remember that. Remember the hope. 
If your heart has enlightened to the hope found in Jesus, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, the meaninglessness of this life has been defeated. Now you have purpose. You have reason to live, to love, to fight for good, to fight against evil. This means we have hope that our life is not meaningless, but we have a true hope that will light up even the darkest moments when they occur. We have real hope that will lift us up on eagle's wings. We have a secure hope that will carry us through life's deepest struggles. There is hope no matter what you're facing because God raised Jesus from the dead and everything that who he was is now in us. Psalm 23. You may have heard it on a movie or maybe you've even read it yourself. Said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's our hope. Jesus goes before us, He leads us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't take us out to the dust and the rocks. He leads us to where we need to go. He leads me beside the still waters. This is the best part. He restores my soul. The very thing we search for, isn't it? We search for the restoration of our souls. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And here's the last verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever beautiful. You know, this verse is only possible for you because the opposite happened to Jesus. We must remember that. There's a famous blessing in the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know why that's possible for us to live within that today? It's because the opposite happened to Jesus. Because God cursed Jesus. There was no blessing on the cross. Because all that you deserve was given to him. And so now Psalm 23 comes alive because we realize I have a good shepherd because of what Jesus has done for me. Remember the hope that you have that God will go before you and that the Spirit indwells you. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it here, but I'm just asking you to remember the hope so you stop searching for things that will eventually let you down. They lie to you. Number two, rest in the promise of the resurrection. Rest in the promise of the resurrection. We live in Western culture. We actually don't like to think about death until somebody invites us to a funeral that we really don't want to go to anyway. It's scary. We don't like it. In fact, we process the body and the family so fast, it's almost an afterthought at that point. We try to get the body cleaned up and buried as fast as possible because we don't want to think or deal with it. Rest in the promise of the resurrection. If you have assurance that you will receive your glorious eternal inheritance, this is the eternal life. This is the resurrection of your body. This means absent from your body, your soul is present with Jesus. Be reminded 
that the last and greatest enemy, which is death, has no power over you. The fear of death, which really drives a lot of our actions today, whether we realize it or not. The fear of death, which looms over you, will no longer cause anxiety, depression, or hopelessness before you. It can't. Because we've been given a promise. We've been given a promise that we will be resurrected. I am convinced that most of our fear is somehow tied. Most of our fear in general within our life is somehow tied to our fear of death. Is our, have we done enough in this life? Are we leaving the best legacy we can? Have we accomplished all that we can? Why do we ask ourselves that question? Because we know one day we won't have the opportunity to do this anymore. Because we know one day we won't have the opportunity to leave legacy anymore, to make the right decision anymore. And so we frantically search and we grasp at anything we think will give us hope. Friends, there's hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says this in a different letter. He writes a letter to the church in Corinth, which is a different city. 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's asking. No more does death have a sting or a power or a victory or a hold on anyone's heart. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What does he say? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over death. Therefore, he says, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If you're a Christian, and if you're going to rest in the promise of the resurrection, Every little thing you do matters. Every little thing you do matters. None of it's in vain. Everything you do is not in vain any longer because you have purpose. You have meaning. Every scoop of the snow, I know it seems hard to think about that. This is why I don't do it. We just drive over and wait till it melts. <laughs> just don't visit because you'll slip on the ice. Every change of the diaper. Every single diaper. Every correction you give to your child. Every paper stamped at work. Everything painted. Everything built. Every, computer, every keyboard typed. Every thought. None of it is meaningless anymore. None of it. Everything you do has meaning. So don't walk out of here any longer thinking that you just have to go through the week again doing all the crap you hate. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus gives you the power to love it, even the dumb stuff. Nothing is meaningless. We no longer labor in vain. That's everything. I mean, the opposite, if death is our fear, if we, can't, if we don't know what to deal with death, it will loom over our life. All of your toil, all of your work, all the hours spent serving and supporting others is meaningless, but now it has a renewed purpose which means nothing remains meaningless. Number three. I only do things in three, so you know this is coming to an end. Number three, we stand in awe of Jesus' power. That's sort of the end of Paul's prayer. That's those last two big verses that he talks about. That's all he's saying, is that Jesus is in power because God raised him from the dead. All of this is possible because our Lord is alive. He is not a statue He is not in a temple. He is not a thought. 
He is not a spirit. He is resurrected, full body, with God in the heavens. He's alive. Paul says God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, when life seems out of control, whenever the spirit of this age thinks and acts in evil ways, just remember Jesus Christ is far above everything and everyone. Everything and everyone. Nothing is out of his control. Nothing is happening outside of his power. He is above Satan and Satan's world systems of evil. He is above the angels. He is above all people, saved and not saved. He is the name above all names, all titles, all ranks, all levels, all powers. He is above all and all. He is king. And no one will remove him from his throne. And yet, the good news is that he has chosen us, little old us, who live in Portage, Kalamazoo. He looks down on us, and he's the king over everything. His name is above every other name, and he knows you, and he chose you, and he adopted you, and he saved you, and then he cleaned you up, and then he gave you purpose. He's chosen you. He's chosen us to display how great he is, whether it's here or it's in another country where 0% worship Jesus as God. Jesus is not only the head of the church. He is not only who we look to as our authority. Remember, I don't have authority in this church. I just point to the one who does. Jesus is not only the head of the church, but it's his, it, he's its fullness. The church is the fullness of, of Christ. Everything Jesus has benefited now benefits the church. Everything we do is then to glorify him. If you're a Christian, remember what God has saved you from and remember what God has saved you for. Remember the hope, remember the promise of the resurrection, and then stand in awe of his power. Stop searching for what God has already graciously given you. This will change the way you think and the way you live. This will change the way you talk to your husband or wife or your friends or your family. This will change the way you spend your time. This will change the way you spend your money. This will change the way, things that you think about and the things you no longer think about. This will restore the way you interact with your children. This will change the way you look at people who are outside of the church and not Christians yet. This will change the way you look at Christians. Stop searching for what God has already graciously given you. If you're not a Christian yet, you might be thinking, well, I I mean, I haven't been given anything, so what's the deal? If you're not a Christian yet, I just want to let you know you come to the right church. There's a lot of amazing people here. Not a lot. All of you are amazing. Sorry. Because today is the day you can seek the forgiveness you desire. Actually, today is the day where our church is going to invite you to stop searching, to stop wondering what your life is for. Today is the day you can seek forgiveness you desire. You can receive your glorious inheritance, the one that God gives you 
graciously and freely because of what he's already done through his son, Jesus Christ. Today, you could receive hope for the first time, assurance of your resurrection, and you can live within God's immeasurable greatness, Paul says, his power. If you're tired from searching, if your soul is screaming for rest, I simply ask you, would you believe upon Jesus Christ? The one who came to take your place because of the sins that you have committed. The one who has paid your debt. The name who is above all names. The one who gives us all the things that we just talked about. He is the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's who he is. Plain and simple. If you are a Christian, allow Paul's prayer to enlighten the way you live. Stop searching. Stop searching for things around the world that you've already been given in the person of Jesus Christ. We all get caught up in it. Some of you kind of feel judged a little bit by what I'm saying. Actually, that's not me. That's God, just so you're aware. That's the Spirit. But number two, like you're welcome here, okay? Because this is me every week. I get caught searching for something that I've already been given. And friends, let us be reminded that we no longer need to search. Nothing the world can offer would, would do what Paul says here. Nothing can provide this to you. So as we close and as we prepare for communion, I want you to think about what God has done for you, because none of this is possible, none of this takes place unless somebody goes under the sword for us. We don't get back into the Garden of Eden through the angel with the flaming sword unless somebody first takes the hit. That's Jesus. We don't want to overcomplicate it. What we want to say and what we want to be reminded of is that all who Jesus is, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the eternal Word of God, pure, perfect, righteousness, righteous, all of that has been given to us. And everything we were has been taken away. It's gone. This is the essence of your salvation. And I would argue, no matter what path your life leads you down, that's the only truth you need to be reminded of every single day is that the God of all creation looks down upon you and you are blameless, you are perfect, you are holy, no matter what the world says about you, no matter what you did yesterday, no matter what you will do tomorrow or four years from now, you are loved by God. You are cherished by God. You have been given meaning and purpose by God. 